This episode is sponsored by Ember. I drink my coffee slow, and I'm picky about what I like to drink my coffee out of, but maybe that's just me. Some mugs keep your coffee so hot you can't even drink out of it without playing a guessing game with the lid off and on, and other mugs just don't keep the coffee hot. Ember keeps your coffee at the temperature you want it, so it's at drinking temperature every time. Get 10% off an Ember mug with the code COFFEEPOD on ember.com. Listening to the Coffee Podcast. This is the Coffee Science Series. Let the farmers choose. So far in the Coffee Science Series, we have addressed research from many different angles and recently introduced the topic of coffee ag R&D. I remember the early days of the Coffee Podcast when Wes would find every opportunity to say the phrase boots on the ground. That is what agronomists are. They are boots on the ground, side by side with coffee farmers, helping share the findings of research from the lab, but also partaking in research on the ground. They play a fundamentally critical role in the pipeline of research because they represent the connection between science and humanity. In this episode, we are joined by Emilia Umania a coffee agronomist with WCR whose love for her work and the coffee farmers around her is so potent it's contagious. I am actually Costa Rican, but my career started in El Salvador, where I worked in a farm and a mill that was establishing a big nursery at the time, almost a million plants, and they wanted to distribute different varieties for the growers that were interested in renovating their plantations. After that, I came back to Costa Rica and I worked as an extension officer and certification officer for the private sector and later Mm -hmm. moved to the international cooperation sector, working on a national project that aimed to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in farms and mills. I came back to WCR a couple of years ago to support the nursery development program that was being launched back then. What would you say an agronomist does? How would you explain that to our audience? The work of an agronomist is to help growers produce more and better coffee. Our job is to help farmers face their challenges in productivity, pests and diseases, climate change, and things like that, so that they can be successful in their operations. And what is your relationship like with the producers you work with? You obviously have a professional relationship with them, but would you consider that relationship goes beyond the professional realm for you? Um, I'm very happy to say that I have close relationships with my many of the growers that I've worked with. It, even though most of them I met for the first time many years ago. <laughs> yeah. And to me, it is very important to work closely with the growers from a place mm-hmm. of trust and mutual knowledge. And I am really proud to say that some of them have become close friends to this day. You mentioned uh, to me before that you 
you've sort of identified two generic types of producers or farmers, those who focus on quantity and those who focus on quality. So how do you identify those producers and what is the story behind or what have you observed between those two different types? Okay, well, it depends on the type of uh, market that they have. So farmers at the end are businesses and they are very dear and very close to the growers' hearts. They treat their land with love and respect, but in the end, they are businesses. Mm -hmm. So some growers need their farms to produce lots of cherries in order to be profitable. Especially if you live in a place like my country, where most farms are small and the cost of the labor is pretty high. Mm, but okay. other farmers have positioned themselves in specific market niches and, and with relationships with their buyers that require them to deliver very high and specific quality. And in these cases, they may produce less cherries in order to meet their, the requirements of their market and, and be profitable that way. So it depends on which side are they focusing in. So you work with farmers, coffee farmers and producers. Do you work with, I assume, both specialty producers as well as commodity market producers? Yes, because the focus of my work is to work with growers that are producing their own plants with nurseries and collecting seed or looking to establish sheetlots. I have relationships with both kinds of growers because we have growers that are looking for lots of cherries and we're looking for for example, to establish a seedlot with a variety that can do that. Hmm. Or okay. you also have the, the varieties or you have nurseries for people that are more interested in plants that could deliver a certain type of flavor. Very cool. So you mentioned before to me about the best practices document created by World Coffee Research. Can you tell me a little bit about that document and how it's used in your shoes, like how, a, how an agronomist might use that? They are technical guides. There's one for seed production and one for nursery management. And they were created along with several experts from both the public and the private sector in different countries. And the whole point was to that it would serve as a tool for agronomists and for growers to develop their activity in a way that they can ensure that the material that they are producing is as pure and healthy as, as they can get. Okay. And yeah. It includes examples of good practices in agronomy and traceability to do so, and also presents options depending on the level of technology that the producer has available. So it's a, a different tool that it can adapt to different situations. Okay, yeah. So that tool is something you could use and say if you're highly... If you, if you have a lot of technology on the farm, it can apply to you. But if you don't have any technology on the farm, it can apply to you. So it's sort of diverse okay. in that way. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges you observe in your position. What, what would you consider are the major challenges facing the coffee producers you've worked with over the last 10 years? Well, profitability is definitely the main one. Okay, uh, yeah. It has become more and more common that farmers struggle to be profitable in their business and it requires them to adapt to a fluctuating market and environmental conditions that change due to climate change and actually that's one of the other big challenges climate change since the conditions of of rain and, and drought periods change the whole cycle of the coffee plant changes as well mm. and yeah. you may see increased effects of 
diseases or past or even symptoms of, of some that were unknown to the region in, in previous years. Over the 10 years that you've been an agronomist, have you seen this change of like the impact of climate on the farms that you've been working on? Yes, definitely. You can see it, especially in the rainy season here in Costa Rica. It's not the same as you say that you have three months or four months of dry season where the plant can prepare for blooming. As you say, I have only one month drought and then the rest is just a big rain. Or Mm -hmm. in some areas of the country, it's the other way around and you have uh, a drought season that extends to six months or even maybe seven months. And then all of the rain is concentrated in the three or four months that are left. Mm-hmm. And it just uh, completely changes how the plant reacts. What are the major changes facing you as an agronomist in the environment that you find yourself? Agronomists need to have updated tools and information so they can help the farmers better. And in some cases, we are working with information that may be from many years ago mm-hmm. and possibly not be current to our conditions anymore. So it is super important that the sector invests in agriculture R&D. So agronomists can carry the message to the farmers and and new technology and ideas get implemented in the field instead of sitting in a desk somewhere. Farmers already feel burdened financially, right? And you mentioned earlier that that, that's one of the biggest struggles that you perceive for for the coffee farmer and the producer. So if they're already feeling burdened, how can they take on the risk of planting new varieties? Well, renovating your plantation is always a risk, and it Mm. is expensive. It is possibly the highest investment a grower will do in in their lifetime. But planting new varieties can actually help reduce this burden. And I'm not suggesting that farmers should cut all of their plantation at once and change all of their plants in one year, Mm -hmm. but they can replace part of their farms that are no longer profitable because of... Uh, age or diseases so Mm -hmm. they can change that with materials that can adapt better to their current condition and and produce more and better coffee so this will all help the farm be profitable in the end and more sustainable in time so in some cases you farmers can select one type of plant for one part of the farm and another part plant for a separate part that Mm, maybe has a different condition or they can even choose to plant their farm with a few plants of a very special variety that can enhance different flavors. And then the rest of their land with other high yielding materials that require lower maintenance. Hmm, and okay. yeah. it's a way to plan out your business instead of just working with what has always been there. I see. So if I was, just as an example, if I was a producer and you know I didn't have many hectares, and I was thinking about renovating part of my farm. Who would be my main contact for that sort of work? Is that Would that be you, the agronomist? Or how, do, how would I organize a thing like that? Well, it depends on which country the farmer is. But mm-hmm. there's lots of extension programs from National Coffee Institutes, for example, or from ministries of agriculture and by the private sector as well. Okay. That yeah. has that they have agronomists in the ground that can help the farmer uh, make this decision, and also can lead the farmer to buy seed or seedlings 
from uh, the best sources that the country has. If a farmer was looking to say, you know, they, their coffee hasn't been profitable for them, or a portion of their coffee has not been profitable for them, why should they decide to plant coffee instead of, say, another crop? Or or should they? What What is the thought process or what kind of advice would you give in that scenario? Well, that's a really, really good question. And it's something that actually happens quite often. <laughs> yeah. So coffee is a plant that you can plant with other uh, crops. It, does, it doesn't need to be a monoculture necessarily. So okay. that's a good thing about coffee. You can, for example, plant squash or beans or certain types of fruits in addition to the coffee. So if you have a a farm that can produce a lot of different things, then you protect yourself against changes in the market. Then sometimes Mm -hmm. maybe one price went up, one price goes down, but you have different things that you can uh, play with in your business plan. doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to have to change all of your plantation or get completely out of coffee, but it could mean that you can select certain parts of your farm to say, okay, these hilltops are good for coffee, and mm-hmm. then these ones I'm going to plant sugarcane, and in the middle I'm going to plant squash. Yeah, so this kind of comes down to being a good farmer, just knowing what to plant on what part of your land and making those decisions and also constantly informing yourself, just like I'm learning about coffee. A producer can learn I guess, from the community, fellow farmers, extension programs, agronomists, that kind of thing. Yeah. And actually what you mentioned, it's sometimes you get two extremes. You get the growers that really just want to get out of coffee because they're sick of losing money. Yeah. And then you get the other type of grower that is holding on desperately to their coffee. And even mm. though the plants are really old, or very affected by diseases like leaf rust, yeah. they do not want to cut them down. They resist to do that mm. because coffee is something that is much more than a crop to a lot of the farmers. It's mm. it's, it's the way you live. It it's defines at some point your identity. You're a coffee grower. <laughs> I see. Yeah. So, so in the community of agriculture, just... What you've seen in the in the last ten years, do you see farmers more connected to growing coffee than say growing? I don't know. I don't know what's grown in your area. Just <laughs> throw something out like corn because I know that we grow a lot of that in, in the states. The thing is that, like I said, it depends on who you're talking to. You have the growers that are they don't want to cut down their plants and they want to continue growing coffee because it's what they have done for all of their lives. So they keep holding on to this idea or to this tradition of growing coffee is Mm -hmm. and what normally happens then is if this person which is normally an older guy decides to retire or leave the farmers to their kids that's where you get most of the change because then the kids don't have this sense of belonging into the farm Mm -hmm. and they do look for other things to do with the land including selling it okay Um, yeah so that's where you get most of the conflict. I see. Well, we're going to go ahead and pivot to an important conversation that will be had throughout this part of the series about the seed sector. And it's just come up so many times that our our ag R&D conversation has kind of turned into 
how do we talk about the seed sector? What is a seed sector and, and all these things? But for you, my question is, how do producers feel about a new seed sector? Are they skeptical about this kind of thing? Well, we have interviewed lots of people in different countries, and we can all agree, agronomists and growers and members of the government and, and everyone, basically, that a strong, robust seed and nursery sector is necessary. Um, okay. And almost every grower you talk to has a story about buying seed that turned out to be something else Yikes, yeah. or losing seedlings in the field because it was not good quality material and they, half of them died. Mm, um, yeah. But we have to figure out a way to do this that doesn't mean that costs increase uh, significantly for farmers. Because mm -hmm. at this point, many of them are hesitant to any option that means spending even more money mm -hmm. and not being sure what the gain is. Yeah. Um, so there's, there is still a lot of work to do, and it requires a lot of information. Mm -hmm. And I would say also unity in the value chain to make it happen. Yeah. I know our conversation is not about the price crisis, but have you witnessed for yourself a lot of the effects of the low sea price? Yeah, if you live in a coffee-producing country like me, you, you see that almost mm -hmm. every day. Yeah. And especially because, like I mentioned, some of these growers are my friends. I've seen them try to struggle their way out of this crisis. And some of them are reinventing themselves and, and they are okay. And some of them are really just considering closing down their operation as a whole. Well, I'm thankful that you're a friend to these producers and that you're offering them information. And it's very clear that you love what you do. I'm curious for those listening, most of us are not agronomists, right? Most of us listening to the podcast are somewhere else in the chain. Consumer, roaster, baristas. We do have all kinds of people listening. But what role do you think these other categories of coffee people play in the conversation of sort of letting the farmers choose what they do and the conversation around the seed sector and, and taking on part of the risk, that sort of stuff? It's a huge role. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. <laughs> you have the power to change the conversation into one that includes uh, farmer profitability, climate adaptation, mitigation actions, and genetic materials that can ensure certain flavors and volumes from different origins. So it's a pretty big role. <laughs> I intended on asking you more questions about in the farmer being part of the decision uh, or making the decision for themselves about what they plant. How does that play into the seed sector? For example, right now, everyone is looking for something that is resistant or tolerant to uh, leaf rust mm -hmm. because growers don't want to deal with leaf rust anymore because they lost all of their plantations or most of them to the to the leaf rust a couple of years ago. So yeah. they are looking for something that can use as a defense against the disease. And this is a genetic defense. The plant is better adaptable to the conditions and it won't get sick or it won't get sick as easily as other varieties. So you yeah. can... Uh, be more sustainable because then the plant is more adapted to the type of shade that you have, to the type of soil, to the type of climate. And it's, the plant is happier, then the grower yeah. is happier as well. <laughs> right, yeah. 
What kinds of resources should our listeners pick up or pay attention to on this topic? Well, anything related to breeding or purifying varieties and also just something that pops up once in a while in in consumer and and baristas magazines and things like that are innovation programs that seek to deliver seed or seedlings into farmers' hands. Mm -hmm. And those are the type of things that are important because if this program is looking to do that, it's awesome, it should do it. But you have to make sure that the plant that the farmer is getting is something that he can actually use and that he is going to be profiting from it from the for the next 30 years. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So what are you personally working on and how can our listeners be a part of what you're doing? Oh, we have lots of exciting things going on in the nursery development program. <laughs> yeah. We are currently working in several countries trying to find the purest seed sources of, of uh, local varieties in, in, in these countries. And we are also establishing seed plantations in various origins we're training growers, we're training nursery owners in good agricultural practice, and we are definitely doing our best to support the production of, of high-quality material in all of the regions. Very cool. And also, if you want to know more, just you can look up WCR page, the, the social media, and it's currently updated with all the cool things we're, we're up to. <laughs> very cool, very cool. What do you want our listeners to learn from you from this conversation? If they walked away and forgot everything we said, except for one thing, what would you want them to remember? I would want everyone to remember that farmers should have a choice to select the genetic material that is best for their conditions. And and help mm-hmm. them thrive and, and be profitable in their business. So pure, healthy seeds and seedlings uh, of, of different materials should be something available to any farmer. And it is key that we as a sector address this issue right now, or it might be too late. Scientific research in a vacuum does nobody any good. I'm thankful the coffee sector has professionals like Amelia with their boots on the ground advocating for the future of coffee. Join us next time for a conversation about wild coffees you won't want to miss. Thanks for tuning in, and until next time, happy brewing.